Bible tonight to Hebrews 11. We're going to uh, take a just brief pause and look at a, a passage of Scripture I think is always good for us to come back to, and that is Hebrews 11. We're going to be looking at Christians live by faith. That's the title of the message, Christians live by faith. And you, you may think, well, man, that's a old duh, right? Uh, but I, I want to bring out some things about it um, and just maybe some reminders of the importance of faith in our life and uh, how it is really the foundation for everything else. So uh, Christians live by faith. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 3, and then I'm also going to read verse 6. And uh, so let's look at our text tonight. The author of Hebrews says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. You look at verse 6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We look through the Christian life. What is our life to be characterized by? It is to be characterized by faith. We don't live based on some kind of a mystical hope. We don't live by what we can see or even by what we can understand at all times. The Christian lives by faith. Over and over, we get, see that repeated principle in the Scriptures. For example, Romans 1.17, Paul writes, for, as, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And it was this uh, particular passage that so deeply struck Martin Luther's heart, bringing him to see uh, that faith is both what is necessary for salvation and also in the Christian life. And we know Yesterday was technically Reformation uh, Day, and that's one in which many people look and recall what happened at the Reformation, and uh, I think all, all of us are aware that Martin Luther was one of those key people that God used to spark uh, the Reformation. And so the Reformation was an era when God was opening the eyes of many blind people, bringing them out of dead religion, of works, coming to see that Salvation, it does not come through the professing church or any other means of mankind, that justification is by faith alone, through grace, by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And all of this was grounded in what? Scripture alone. So uh, we, we have the five solas of the Reformation that are so important for us. Now, justification by faith alone was what the Reformers called the material principle of all theology. I think I've shared this before. They called the doctrine of Scripture alone the formal principle of all theology because all that we believe is rooted in the Bible alone, Scripture alone, right? So faith alone being the material principle because it involves the very substance or heart of what a person must understand and believe in order to be saved. And so these are intertwined together. So when we look at our text and we look at the whole of the Bible and the Christian life, faith is the central operation of God's people from beginning to end. And here in this particular chapter, it's all centered on this subject, faith. In fact, you're going to read through this chapter, and you're going to find this repeated thing about all these examples, these testimonies. It is by faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, so-and-so did this. And the author starts out this chapter with the, example, the description of faith. So I want to challenge us tonight in just thinking about this, because we're called to trust God at all times and in all things according to His Word. So we ask ourselves, do we have faith? 
Are we living by faith? And what should we understand from this text? Just two headings tonight, all right? I know you're all nap-worthy right now, right? In a warm room after eating a, a, a good, good bunch of food. Uh, but uh, let's look, number one, this, this evening at the explanation of faith. Notice firstly about faith that faith is rooted in the truth of God. Faith is rooted in the truth of God. Now, many have an idea about faith and even claim to have faith, but do not truly understand the essence of what saving faith really is. So when we come to the biblical definition of faith, it comes from a Greek word called pistis. That's the way, way, what it is. And it's a noun that describes the state of believing on the basis of the reliability of one trusted. It can be translated as trust or confidence, faith, even persuasion. And so it is a persuasion. It is a confidence. It is a trust in something. And so the writer here, he gives a wonderful description of faith in verse 1. He says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Now I want to kind of break this down a little bit for us. You pause for a moment, look at it. He says, faith is the assurance of something. Now, we use the word assurance quite often, right? We talk about the assurance of our salvation, knowing, right? So assurance, and we, we, we see assurance here. It, it means or it refers to the essential or basic structure or nature of an entity, all right? It's essence, it's actual being, it's reality. So the assurance is, is something that we grasp, that we hold on to. So it has broad meanings from this word, for example, uh, the King James translates it as substance, whereas the ESV here is assurance. Uh, the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB, translates it as reality. All of those are good translations of what this word is communicating to us, all right? So you'll see it connect together as you look at the rest of the verse. Faith is a confident assurance of something. So what is it a confident assurance of? Here's what he says. He says it's a confident assurance of things hoped for, things hoped for. Well, what are things hoped for? What could he be referencing there? Now, understand that things hoped for doesn't mean or refer to hope as in something that has the possibility of coming to pass. There's a chance it might not, or there's a chance that it might. For example, my kids may hope for something for Christmas, but they might not get that particular thing for Christmas. There's a things that they're hoping for, right? We all have our list that we, we give, especially as kids. So the things hoped for, understand, are actually things we don't yet experience, but they are going to be our experience with confidence. That's what this faith is assuring us of. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the confidence, the persuasion of things that are hoped for. So when we think about that, it's not a question of if, but when. It's not a question of if, but when. There's a reality to this essence of faith. So you think about how do you know Jesus? How do you know heaven is where you're headed? How can we be confident in such claims? Our confidence is rooted in what faith is. Faith is a conviction. It is an assurance of what is to come. So it's a confidence, it's a persuasion, it's a trust in what, is, what God has promised. And so that brings us to this next aspect. Notice he continues to say that faith is the conviction of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. So what does conviction mean? The word conviction here refers to the act of presenting evidence for the truth of something. Proof or proving. So again, I'll share with you a couple of translations may translate that word as evidence. Uh, King James does that. Proof in the CSB and then conviction here in the ESV. 
So when we think about evidence and proof. We live in a world that demands visible proof for just about everything, don't we? If you don't have proof, they won't believe it. I once posted a, a picture back years ago of me hanging on a rim. It was a 10-foot ball rim. It was at, the, it was at a basketball court, and, and I was goofing around. I had somebody take a picture to look like I was dunking the ball. I could really jump and grab the wind, rim, but I couldn't quite jump with the ball to dunk it. But I you know, made it look like I was dunking the ball. And uh, this mechanic at work, he, th- he saw that picture on the Internet. He said, I do not believe that you were jumping up and grabbing that rim, uh, dunking the ball. And so what he did was he actually took a rope and actually measured 10 feet and put it back in the shop, and he made me. Uh, You're going to jump in front of my eyes, and let me see you touch this, right? And so he wouldn't believe my word for it. Uh, He didn't believe that I could jump and grab that, Um, and I certainly can't do it now. I've I've put on a few pounds, and you've got to be able to jump even higher if you've got more pounds on you, right? Uh, But he he had to see it in order to believe it. And that's really, that's really how our world thinks. Now, I can understand certain skepticisms about various things in the world. For example, in this world of technology, nearly anything can be doctored, right? Photos and videos, and you're like, I don't know if that's real or not. Uh, you know, you, you, there's some skepticism around those sorts of things. But when it comes to this reality of God, of Christ, of, Jesus, of, uh, of salvation, of all that we see in the Scriptures, that's not the way it works when it comes to the Word of God. In our world, people... They want to see to believe, but in, the, in Christianity, you understand that you believe to see. It's reversed. It's reversed. Faith gives us sight, not the other way around. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5? We don't walk by what? Sight. We walk by faith. The way I had that reversed, didn't it? We walk by faith, not by sight. So you think about your Christian experience for a moment. Have you seen Jesus in person? No. But yet you are fully convinced as a Christian believing in him. Who he is. Have you seen God? You haven't seen him with your eyes, right? But yet you're fully convinced of his existence and of who he is. Have you seen heaven? Well, how do you know that you're going there if you're not seeing it? This is what faith is for the Christian. It is a conviction. It is an internal evidence based on something. And that something is the word of God. It's the hope he's given us. Here's what Paul said. Paul said in Romans 8, 24 through 25, he said, For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see that? He's making a distinction. What you see is not actual hope. Faith shows us that. Now, this is how we know also without any question. Verse 3, notice that the writer says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That's so key to understanding why many in this age of skepticism and heretical teachings on origins resist creationism. They resist creationism. Atheism and, and you know, the, the, the modern science ideas are embraced. Faith is an aspect of truly understanding creation for what it actually is. Why is that? Guess what? None of us were there to see God create it, were we? You didn't get to see that. We weren't there. We didn't exist yet, right? We weren't there. So what we find is that the reality of the universe being created by a creator, that's an undeniable thing given physical and natural observations we see and study and experience in the world. All of creation we know naturally points to the creator. But though the natural world may lead us to a point of faith, it is not what gives us faith. 
Understanding that creation leads to a creator takes us to the next step towards the gospel, which is where faith comes from. Natural creation does not naturally give you faith. Natural revelation is not what gives us faith. It is special revelation. It is special revelation. And so we need true faith, as the Scriptures describe it, if we're to see truly the God of creation. And so biblical faith, understand, from this passage, you understand, it's not blind trust in the face of contrary evidence. It's not an unknowable leap into the dark. Rather, biblical faith, biblical faith is a confident trust in the eternal God who has revealed truth to us in His Word. That brings us to the next aspect about faith that I want to point out to us. Not only do we see that um, faith is rooted in the Word of God, all right, it's rooted in the truths of God, but notice also that faith is received by the Word of God. It's received by the Word of God, and this is very important for us to understand. As we look at this explanation of faith, how is it that we have such faith? How did I get that? How does any person come to have the faith that is absolutely convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt of all that we see in Scripture? The answer is through the Word of the living God. Now, I want to point out this to you, that there's some elements of faith I think is good for us to recognize. And I think I've shared these with you before, but I want to remind you and share, you with them, share them with you again. The first element of faith is knowledge, all right? That's the first element of faith, knowledge. Every faith must have some form of content to it. It's not vacant. It's not empty of knowledge, right? R.C. Sproul rightly said, I cannot have God in my heart if he is not in my head. Before I can believe in, I must believe that. So there has to be substance. There's knowledge involved with faith. But the second aspect here of faith, second element of faith, is assent or agreement, all right, agreement with that knowledge. So, for example, with knowledge of the gospel, one must also agree that the gospel is true. This is often, sadly the case, where most modern understanding of faith stops. Many in our world will acknowledge the truth and agree with the truth that there is a God. Maybe even that the gospel is true. Maybe even that all that the God says is true. There's agreement that all of it is true. But let me ask you something. Is agreement with truth the same as biblical faith that saves you? No, it is not. It is not. Many will acknowledge without, with, and stop only in agreement. Now, do you know who else holds these first two elements of faith, but not the third I'm going to give? The devils do. The devils do. And this is why James says this in James Chapter 2, verse 19, he says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Even the devils know the knowledge of what is true. Even the devils agree with what is true, all right, because they can't deny it. They, knew who the, they know who their creator is. They knew who Jesus was. You remember Jesus and his ministry? I mean, they feared him because they knew. They said, don't torment us from the day. They know judgment's coming to them. So, so they, they're in agreement with what is true, but that brings us to the third element of faith that is what distinguishes Christians from the rest of the world. The third element of faith distinguishes Christians from the rest of the world, and that's really the point of this message, is that Christians live by faith. We're not like the rest of the world because of this difference. And the third element is that of trust or commitment. Trust. See, this is what saving faith generates. It generates a full trust to the one and only Savior 
and Lord. It is to yield your whole life and soul to Christ Jesus alone. Not just agreeing that he is who he is, but you're actually entrusting yourself to him. You're resting, relying, committed wholly upon him and his gospel work. We, when we look at faith in the scripture, we see that faith, this kind of faith, is itself a gift from God. And look with me, if you would, Ephesians 2. I referenced this on Tuesday, but uh, Tuesday, my goodness, what day is it? It's Wednesday. I referenced this on Sunday. We didn't come here yesterday, okay? Well, you might have if you did. I didn't see you. Um, but Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, okay? And this is important for us to understand. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, look at this. Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. All right, that right there is just like two of the solas right there. Grace alone, faith alone. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, we often read that and say, okay, it's by grace through faith. But we fail to see the, the intricacies of what all the gift is here. What is the gift? He says it's the gift of God. What is the gift? You notice that Paul is referring to all of what he's talking about in this verse. Grace and faith and salvation are all the gift of God. See, many think that, well, God does grace and then I do faith. No. God gives grace and he also gives faith. For what purpose? So that no one may boast. Because technically, if faith was of my own will and power, I could boast of that faith. This is what sets us apart from the rest of the world because all the world has the agreement part, but they don't get to that faith, trust, reliance part because man in his natural form does not want to trust in the living God. His sin nature causes him to run from God, run from the gospel. And so grace and faith are both the gift of God. And so Paul says with this, and this, this is not your doing. It couldn't be any clearer than that. So you know what this ensures? It ensures that you and I cannot boast even of our faith. And when you come to realize that, that humbles you to the core. That absolutely every aspect of my salvation is to the glory of God alone. God gifted you faith to believe on Christ all because of his grace. It's again referenced in Philippians 1.29. Listen to this. He says to this church, he says, For it has been granted to you, listen to that, that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. He's doing a combo there. It's been granted, it's been gifted to you that you also, not only that you got to believe in him, but also that you suffer for his sake. Now, we don't, it's easy to look at belief as a gift, but suffering, ooh, we don't want that gift, right? But Paul combines those because it is actually a it's, a, it's an honor to be able to suffer for our Lord in the scheme of eternity. So, how does this faith come to us so that we are saved by it and then live by this faith? We know the answer. It's through the Word of God. Romans 10, 17, he says, Faith comes from hearing, hearing through the Word of God. No person will ever come to faith in Christ outside of the gospel itself, outside of the Word of the living God. This is why it is so vital to take the gospel to the nations. Because guess what? God is going to save sinners in all the nations, and the only way they're going to be saved is through the gospel coming to their hearing. Just as God has ordained the ends, he's also ordained the means to those ends. It's through the word of God that we are convicted of sin. We hear of our need of Christ, that we come to be born again by his saving work. 
Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 1.23, Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. You notice how he connects this. Our new birth happens through the word of God in connection with the Holy Spirit as we know. So the new birth, regeneration is what we often call it, is a miraculous moment when an unbelieving sinner becomes a believing saint. You see, the gospel is what changed our hearts. It wasn't ourselves changing ourselves, it was the gospel changing our hearts. God is the one who granted us faith to believe. Calvin rightly said that God breathes faith into us only by the instrument of his gospel. Friend, faith is such a precious gift that we often fail to realize how precious it really is. Now, based on this clear explanation in Hebrews and what all the other scriptures teach of faith, we see clearly, I want to point out just a few things as we close this point, that faith, I want you to say what faith is not. Faith is not. It is not a blind leap based on nothing. Faith is rooted in the Word of God. Faith is rooted in the Word of God. Secondly, it is not a blank check to be used for anything. We cannot use faith just to claim whatever we want from God. Faith claims only what God has already promised. Faith claims what God has promised. Now, there's a lot of false teaching today like, well, just by faith, name it and claim it. A lot of the prosperity gospel teaches that. Well, if you want a new truck, you by faith claim it and God will give it to you. Can you all try that? Have it worked? Has it worked for anybody? Just curious. doesn't work. That's called presumption. That's not faith. Faith is rooted in the promises of God, what he has said himself. So understand, faith is not a blank check to be used for anything. Faith is not a blind leap based on nothing. It is also not an empty crutch just to get you through something difficult. That's what many of the skeptics say today. They may think that faith in God is just to help you through a tough time and, you know, it's just kind of like your own little, your own little world. You know why faith gets us through tough times is because by faith we actually know God and His truth. We don't just, it's not just some comfort, it's, it's a reality. It's a real relationship and fellowship with the living God. It's a convinced persuasion. Listen to what Paul says. I like how he describes it in 2 Timothy 1.12 about his, conver- his salvation. He says, regarding his salvation, I am not ashamed for I know catch that word, know whom I have believed, and I am convinced or persuaded. I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So faith is a precious and powerful gift known to those who genuinely have been born again because it is only through faith that we know God. That is what he's ordained. Martin Luther comments again, and he says, God, our Father, has made all things depend on faith so that whoever has faith, will have everything, and whoever does not have faith will have nothing. Do you understand that if you don't, you, you may have nothing in this life, but if you have faith in Christ, you're richer than the greatest billionaire in the world. You are. Christ is our treasure. He's our riches. There's nothing that we would trade in this world for eternal life. So with this faith that we come to know, we use it and act, actively walk by faith, following Christ, trusting His Word, what is given to us, we live by that. We live by that. Which brings us to number two. And we see the examples of faith. Not only do we see an explanation of faith in Hebrews 1, the early part of chapter 1, he's laying that foundation of what faith is and does. But then we see the examples of faith. And I want you to see just a couple things about these examples. 
that I think are good and applicable for us. The testimonies of faith here are powerful as you read them. They are powerful examples. All through this chapter, it is all about faith. And we look at these examples of faith. And I'll just highlight a few of them. Abel, for example. Abel in verse 4, by faith, he offered a better sacrifice. By faith, he offered a better sacrifice. Now, consider that the faith that we've just described and seen from the Scriptures and seen in the first few verses, that this faith was residing in the heart of Abel. He was convinced, persuaded, trusting in the living God. That's why his sacrifice was better, primarily. He was convinced, persuaded of the truth of God and His Word, even with what little revelation he had. What Bible did Abel have? He didn't have a Bible. He really only had the Word communicated through his parents, Adam and Eve, to him. Unless God had spoken to them at some other time, which is not recorded in Scripture, but what we, don't, what we do know is that they didn't have the revelation we have in the entirety of the Word of God, the Bible. Think about Enoch. In verse 5, he walked with God by faith and was taken up so that he should not see death. Why did Enoch's life please God, we see in this verse? Because he lived it by faith. Verse 7, I, I, I love Noah's example. By faith, Noah, he built the ark because of a coming flood that God told him about. Now look at specifically what it says about Noah in verse 7, is that he was warned of God things not seen as yet. Things not seen as yet. Noah didn't know what a flood was. Imagine God telling you that an avalanche of snow is going to bury Van Buren in 10 days. Anybody ever seen an avalanche hit Van Buren? We get a little snow here and there, right? We've never seen an avalanche hit Van Buren, Arkansas. In fact, I don't think it's even possible for an avalanche to hit Van Buren, right? We're not in the position to where that could happen. But you think about Noah, for example. Noah believed God's word that there would be a worldwide flood having never seen such a thing before with no evidence or proof that it was even possible. Where's his faith rooted in? The word of God. God speaking to him. Now Noah could have said, he could have argued, said, you know what, God, I've never seen a flood. I don't even know what that is, so why should I build an ark? Instead, we read in Genesis 7, 5, Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him, and he did it all by faith. Abraham, verse 4, 8 through 10, by faith he obeyed God's call to leave home, sojourn in a land, and then wait for a promise. We read that he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And the author of Hebrews goes on to say that many of these died in faith, having never seen the reality of those promises come to pass. They took them by faith. Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, by faith. Joseph, here's another one I think is good. Verse 22, Joseph, by faith, commanded his bones to be brought out of Egypt when the Israelites departed. Well, how did Joseph know that Israelites are going to depart out of Egypt? Earlier in Joseph, before Joseph's time, Genesis 15, 14, God said to Abraham, his grandfather, I'll bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. What is Joseph basing his request to bring his bones out of Egypt on? On the word of God spoken back to grandfather Abraham. Joseph's faith was the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. 
Lastly, number seven, Moses by faith. You look at verse 24 through 27, he left Egypt because he knew that following Christ was greater than all that Egypt could offer. How could he know this for sure? Because he had faith in the promises of God. We could continue through all these examples. You read of Joshua and Rahab and Gideon and Samson, David, and Daniel. What do all these examples have in common? Faith grounded in the Word of God and the God of the Word. It didn't matter that they went through things or were called to things that they didn't understand or even couldn't reconcile in their earthly minds. They believed the God who is almighty and limitless, and they were resolved to live by faith for God. And that, Christian, is the same application for each and every one of us today. Notice that these testimonies, lastly, they're not only powerful, they're also very practical. You know, the skeptics of our day, they read accounts like the ones that we read and think of and think, well, that's just not possible. Those are just fairy tale stories. Well, let the skeptics say what they want. It doesn't change the fact of what is true and who God is and what he can do. Remember, the reason that they don't believe these accounts is because they don't have biblical faith. They don't have biblical faith that we read of in the Scriptures. So how do, we, how do we know these narratives are true? How do we know they're true? We weren't there. We've come through Jonah, and it's a miracle. How in the world is he surviving in the belly of whale and get all the way back to land and all of that? I don't have to give you a scientific explanation for that because God's not bound to scientific explanations. He's not bound to the natural things of, of this world. He can overturn what he wants. And so what he tells us we take by faith because he is reliable. His word is reliable. And so we understand that faith that we have from the word of God and in the word of God is what is grounding our Christian life because the word of God is reliable. It's always reliable. Now, as we read through the chapter of faith, what's it all culminate to? It culminates to chapter 12. And remember, there was no chapter breaks in your Bible when it was written. It all flowed together. Let me just read these two verses. The examples of faith lead us to ourselves in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. It says, therefore. Therefore means, based on everything just said, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who's the cloud of witnesses? It is all those who've gone before us by faith. Right here. These examples. Let us, he's talking to them, but there's application to us, Lay aside every weight and the sin which shall cling so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You understand, this was very important for these Hebrew believers, and I think we all know this. Why? Because they were facing persecution, a temptation just to drop it all. But the Hebrew believers were to recognize their forerunners that had lived through hard, uncertain experiences, and they went all the way to the end just by faith. And in like manner, what does he tell us to do? He says for us to run with endurance, perseverance, the race that is set before us. And as we run this race, where is our focus supposed to be? Where is our eye supposed to be? He says in verse 2, looking to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, the founder of it. He's the, there you have it again, the origin of our faith. It's Jesus. And so with this faith that is of him, we use it and live it all the way to the finish line, and he guarantees 
that our faith will come through the finish line. True faith continues to always grip hold of the Word of God for all things. It is faith that keeps us going forward with Christ regardless of what happens around us. Now, the writer had just told them, if you go backwards to chapter 10, look at verse 37 and verse 39 as you come into chapter 11. There's a reason that faith is right here, this emphasis of faith. He says in verse 37, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one shall live by what? Faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. You notice he says, my righteous one shall live by faith. Same thing Paul said in Romans, same thing Habakkuk said. But you notice what he says here. Those who go backward have no pleasure of God, and going backward only leads to destruction. What does he mean by this? You look at verse 39, he clarifies that they, being true believers... They are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. What's this mean? Here's what it means. True believers always continue believing. You can't be a true believer and then not believe. And I think this is very significant for us to understand today, especially since there's an increase in outspoken Christian deconstructionists. Christian deconstruction. You say, well, what's that, preacher? It refers to someone who through the process of questioning and doubting, they ultimately come to reject the Christian faith as a whole, even though they claimed to be a Christian at one point. Now, there's nothing wrong with questioning truth because truth never fears to be tested. Truth is absolute. Sometimes a Christian may have some doubts that come to be resolved after further study greater strengthening their faith that was already there. But when a person truly deconstructs, this is what I want you to understand, they have forsaken the faith and they rely on their skepticism for their reasoning. And we see, I see this all the time on social media. People, especially the younger generation, my generation, holding live questionnaires, prove to me that God exists. I was a Christian and now I'm not. You know, all of these different ones who have apostatized from the faith. So what are we to make of such people? Well, here's what the Scripture says. 1 John 2, 18 through 19. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. Notice where they were. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Now, don't be confused by this word antichrist. Antichrist simply means someone who is against Christ. Everybody always thinks the world lead, one world leader at the very end. No, this is just someone who is against Christ. It's an antichrist. John says there's many of them in the world. So when someone leaves Christianity, guess what they've done? They've gone against Christ. They've gone against Christ. Now, does this mean they had faith and then lost their faith? Not in the slightest. What does John say? They went out from us that it might become plain that they all are not of us. What does that mean? It means they're revealing that they never really were of them. Even though they may have professed to be and blended in among them, they never really were of them because they did not have saving faith to begin with. They were not born again, which is how true faith is known. 
And, and so you understand that in today's world, in the umbrella of Christianity, there are many professors of faith, but how many are actually possessors of faith? There's a great difference. So don't be alarmed by those who say, well, I was a Christian and I started questioning things and I just, I, I'm no longer a Christian anymore. They never were a Christian to begin with. Because Scripture makes it emphatically clear that those who are born again have faith that cannot be taken away and cannot be undone. You can't be unborn out of the kingdom of God. So what's all this mean for us? It means that if we have true faith, we continue to live by faith, despite whatever the world may throw at us. We are called to live the same way that these people in Hebrews 11 lived, and when doing so, we please God. Look at Hebrews 11, 6 one more time. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. He doesn't say it's improbable. He says it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, that he rewards those who seek him. This is how the saints of the past live. This is how the saints of the present are to live. Living by faith will always be the way of life for the Christian this side of eternity. And one of the things that we got to be reminded of is our faith. That's why I bring this to us tonight. Faith. Because it's easy to get caught up in everything that we see and forget about what we know from the word of the living God. The world may crumble around us tomorrow. Our nation may collapse. The economy may go to ruin. None of that changes who we are in Christ. Praise God we have an eternal home. We're part of an eternal kingdom. And so we ask ourselves, do we have faith? Do I believe on Christ alone as my Savior? Do I trust God and His Word for everything I experience in my living day by day? Faith, with faith, looking unto Him.